Poetry, Invisibility, Giant Talking Bees, and Death's Carriage are all bizarre and wonderful parts of Dickinson. This and so much more coming up on this episode of Lasers and Lockets, the podcast that celebrates strong and complex female characters in science fiction and fantasy entertainment. This is episode 53. Hark! I hear the theme in the distance. Welcome back to the show. I'm Lee, your friendly neighborhood host. Before we dive in, let's check out some nerdy news. News. The Supergirl official Instagram account revealed the final season of Supergirl would begin March 30th. I'm likewise, probably all of you as well, are very curious about how the series is going to end. You guys, I have no idea how I missed this, but it was announced by Disney that Tatiana Maslany will be playing She-Hulk in the upcoming 2022 Disney series by the same name. When I saw that, I got so excited because Tatiana Maslany is likely one of my favorite actors of all time. If you're unfamiliar with her, she played all of the Lita clones in Orphan Black, one of the finest television series ever created. We have a full episode on Orphan Black back in episode 22, I believe. Uh, The title of it is We Are Sestras, No? Anywho, I am so excited to see the She-Hulk series in 2022, and I'll leave a link to the Marvel article in the show notes. Lastly, the Black Widow film I've been patiently waiting for since last year looks like it's planned to release on May 7th, and Disney is planning to release it solely in theaters this time. It does not currently have plans to simultaneously release on their Disney Plus platform. This is, I think, an interesting move, considering the pandemic is still a thing, and not everybody will be uh, be able to be vaccinated by May, but there is some hope there. HBO Max has seen success with its release of Wonder Woman 1984 uh, simultaneously in theater and app, like I reported last week or a couple weeks ago. But Disney says that they're watching the situation closely and will likely make a decision when it's a little bit closer to the release date. I, for one, hope that they do go ahead and release it on Disney Plus 2, just to give those of us who are still a little bit wary of theaters uh, a chance to see it uh, before it comes to to video on demand. What do you guys think about that? I'd be interested to hear how you feel uh, about those simultaneous releases in theater and on app. Uh, I'll leave a link to the article uh, that I referenced here in the show notes as well. All right, let's go ahead and get on with the show. I am so excited to discuss the topic of this episode, Apple TV's hit comedy series Dickinson. This uh, fictionalized tale of Emily Dickinson's life is fresh and hip and juicy. The music is modern, the language is modern, and the setting is pre-Civil War Amherst, Massachusetts. The poetry... It is just glorious. The series follows Emily Dickinson, her best friend, love of her life, sister-in-law, Sue, her sister, Lavinia or Vinny, and Emily's mother, well, Emily, if, if that is not the most confusing thing ever, and the rest of the Dickinson clan, of course. The series is fresh and feminist, progressive, and funny as hell, but also it's super full of heart and angst and Emily Dickinson's glorious poetry. I'd like to preface this by saying that I never really liked poetry when I was younger. 
But no matter how fictional this depiction of Emily Dickinson is, and it, is, it does take certain liberties for, for sure, it even borders into the sci-fi and fantasy realm. But uh, it, it, it's fostered my love of Emily Dickinson's poetry, and I think that's a cool thing. Again, I struggled kind of with whether to add this to my podcast or not, but when you've ridden with death in his carriage and then spent an entire episode invisible and also talked to a giant bee at one point, uh, I think it's going to end up in my podcast. (laughs) I'm so excited to discuss Emily and Sue and Vinny and Emily, the mother, not Emily Dickinson. (laughs) And uh, we might mention a few other characters as we go through, but let's go ahead and dive right in. So I I think I want to start with Emily's mother. Not to be confused, but also named Emily. Uh, Emily Norcross is played by the glorious Jane Krakowski. You might recognize her from shows like 30 Rock and Ally McBeal. That's where I was first introduced to her. Uh, but also the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is a Netflix series that I found to be quite fun as well. Uh, I didn't watch the whole series, but I got to quite a bit of it. Uh, and she was just hilarious. She is a comedic genius, I feel. And I think she's perfect for this role as Emily's mother. There's so much untapped depth to this character, which I love. Uh, Emily's mom is kind of distanced from her children. Uh, She clearly loves them in her own way, but she is a consummate housewife and she takes pride in being able to host two tea parties at the same time without a hitch and things like that. Uh, Much of her self-worth seems to come from being successful at taking care of her household and taking care of her family and taking care of her husband. There's a part in the first season and again, I will try not to spoil anything, major but just kind of talking about little things with the characters uh just side note there but there is this part in season one where uh i think she gets upset because i'm trying to remember what happened exactly but she gets upset because emily doesn't want to learn how to do these certain things and so she asks if they can get a maid and to Emily Norcross, uh, that is kind of a hit to her because it makes it feel like she is not capable of taking care of her household. Uh, But eventually they do get the the maid so that Emily Dickinson doesn't have to take care of some of those household chores. You can tell she's a bit exasperated that neither of her daughters seems to be particularly interested in being excellent housewives and running their homes. And she clearly loves being uh, a part of proper society and their place in society but there is so much more depth to her character that that continues to progress through the series she feels uh as the series goes on i think i get the feeling that that she doesn't feel like she is needed anymore and it makes her feel a little bit unsure about where she belongs there are some hilarious moments that ensue in season two because of this but um, yeah, just check those out. Uh, you start to see these these twinges of resentment towards her husband and towards various other people because I think she feels like her life is sort of um, somehow becoming a little bit more thankless. 
And I think one of the the more interesting takes on this, and and because this series is very feminist, and and I think this is an interesting thing, is that because the the show writers and the creator of the show did so much research into the real Emily Dickinson, there are certain elements that are that are probably pretty true, like there was a lot of pushing of gender norms, not necessarily with the mother, but uh, with the daughters and whatnot. Uh, but in this depiction of Emily's mother, you start to see that she re- is recognizing the sexist behavior that he has towards her and towards the daughters. Um, and I think that that's really interesting that she starts to push back against that as the series progresses. And I just, I really love that. I think the show does a really good job of depicting this character well and how smart and clever she is. And I think that Jane plays her beautifully. So now that we've been introduced to her mother, uh, let's pop into Lavinia, or Vinny as they call her. Uh, Lavinia is played by Anna, oh my goodness, I'm going to mess this up, Barishnikov. We'll say that, Barishnikov. I, I, I apologize in advance if I can't pronounce that. Um, but Vinny is one of the funniest and quirkiest characters on the series. And that says a lot because Emily herself, Emily Dickinson, that is not her mom, um, is quite quirky. At the beginning of the series, you're not really sure about her. Uh, you just get little glimpses of things about her, like uh, Sue cracks a joke about... Uh, Vinny sewing a pillow and having tea parties with her cat and and things like that. So you get this idea that she's a little weird um, and I love that about her. But the things you start to see with her character throughout the series are just so much fun and I just find Vinny to be such a an adorably lovable character to me. Vinny though is also so strong. She's unwilling to bend to the will of a man or to allow someone to change her from who she really is. She's flirtatious and sure of herself. Well, not particularly sure of herself, but she gets to that point. Uh, She's curious about herself and who she wants to become though. And she's confident in her body and in herself. uh, And I love that. And I love that she embraces all parts of her, not just the parts that she thinks are socially acceptable or whatever they may be. As the series goes on, she just gets funnier and funnier. And she's one of those characters that whenever she's on screen, I usually laugh out loud while I'm watching, which is a great thing. You find yourself rooting for her throughout the series and uh, and clapping when she stands up for herself, regardless of what those others around her might think. And uh, I kind of hope that we might all have that kind of self-assurance as well. The world, I think, would be a lot better of a place. Vinny is often seen in the company of a group of other Uh, I'm going to say like young adults around her age. I like to think of them as kind of like the mean girls of Amherst, Massachusetts pre-Civil War. Uh, But they're they're such a funny group of characters that you get to see with that. So uh, I I think that they're one of the funniest parts of the series. And they do things like have seances and have wild parties and, and things like that, which I find to be interesting. Interesting enough, too. From my research, I understand that seances were actually pretty popular during that time period because people were fascinated with the crossing over and death and and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I I find that pretty interesting. All right. Speaking of death, no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, Let's uh, let's dive into Sue Gilbert. 
So Sue is one of the most important characters on the show, um, next to Emily Dickinson, I feel. And Sue is played by Ella Hunt. Uh, I believe she's a British actress. Um, it's so interesting because you hear them with their normal accent, and I get so confused because I'm like, where are they from? <laughs> um, when I was watching The Wilds uh, a while ago, I didn't realize that like most of the actors on that show were from Australia, and then there's some Kiwis in there as well. And anyway, it's super fascinating, but uh, I digress. Okay, Sue. <laughs> Sue is one of those fascinating characters who essentially uh, becomes a completely different person in season two from season one. And I think that that's probably super fun for an actor to play. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you as far as her character and what happens. So I'll be as careful as possible discussing the situations in the show with her. But, you know, be forewarned, I might accidentally slip and say something. But I'll try to steer clear of any sort of major spoilers. This will be a major spoiler-free zone. Uh, Anyway, when we meet Sue at the beginning of the series, uh, she has become basically the sole survivor of her family. The rest of her family have died from various illnesses. Um, They kind of play with that a little bit. And I think it's important to her character development. Uh, The Dickinsons essentially basically take her in as part of their family. She's always there. um, And clearly the characters love her, uh, especially Emily. And uh, Austin also, I I think, falls for her, or at least the idea of her um, throughout the series. So Sue is such a fascinating character to me because she highlights... I think the incredible difficulties that women faced back in that time period and how incredibly precarious the safety of women then was. Uh, Sue essentially has to marry Austin in order for her to be safe. There's a scene where a man knows that she's alone and he attempts to make a move on her. And to me, what that scene highlighted was, uh, it just sort of made me think about that time period, really. And it struck me by how women have never really ever been safe. It's bad now, but it was incredibly dangerous in the past, and I think Sue perfectly highlights that as a character. Sue clearly loves Emily in the show, and Emily writes her poetry largely just for Sue to read. Uh, I think that she feels a bit overwhelmed by Emily, and by Emily's love for her, and Emily's writing, and by Austin's expectations for her, and by society's expectations for her. And by trying to overcome her kind of destitute upbringing. And I think that it just, it's all of that culminates into something that uh, basically turns her into a different person in season two. She becomes obsessed with society and being the most popular, you know, social butterfly, if you will, um, of Amherst, Massachusetts. And she becomes obsessed with things like fine clothing and money and being popular. And really what you start to see is that she's lost and she is so incredibly afraid and scared and unsure of herself that she just becomes this completely different person to protect herself. Sue, out of any of the characters in the series so far, has dealt with the most incredible pain and loss throughout the first season. Um, And and even into season two, and she largely does it alone. And I think that her strength is incredibly powerful, and it's incredibly well uh, depicted in this series. And 
I felt myself just rooting for her and wanting to her wanting her to be able to be herself and to be free and to find a way to feel things again, uh, which is a really huge part of the of the series is that feeling feelings in your heart and feelings and living up to who you really are and and all of that. So I just love the way that they depicted that character. And I think that Ella Hunt does a wonderful job as Sue Gilbert. Okay, that I think is a good segue into the lead character, Emily Dickinson. Emily is played by the incredibly talented Haley Steinfeld. Now, I didn't know much about Haley until I encountered a few of her songs on Spotify during the height of the pandemic, and I just loved them. They were always, when they came on to my playlist, I was always thinking, who is that? That is like a really catchy song and really talented singer. You know, it just, it really caught me. Her song, Most Girls, uh, became probably my power anthem for 2020, alongside T. Swift's The Man. Uh, All of that is to say, sorry, (laughs) side note again, um, all of that is to say that Haley Steinfeld is an incredibly talented human, and I feel like pretty much anything that she touches turns to gold, and she's so young still, I cannot wait to see uh, what she's going to do with her future. I mean, she's an executive producer on the show, or the executive producer, I know there's another one, but, um, or a few, but she's an executive producer on this show, and at her age, it's just so incredible that she gets to do things like that, uh, and, I, and I just am rooting for her all, all the time. <laughs> all right, let's discuss Emily Dickinson as a character. A fictionalized character, I should say. Let's let's just make sure that we're clear on that. So this this depiction of Emily Dickinson there is is definitely rooted in truth, but again, like I said, there are so many wonderful, fanciful things to her character um, that are probably not true, and so it's it's a really fun character to explore. I love how weird and quirky and dramatic. Emily is, but she's so lovable. Like I could never be mad at her uh, if if she was a friend of mine, because she's just she, there's never a dull moment. I think that's the the key with Emily is there's never a dull moment. So Emily goes on a transformation from season one to two as well, uh, not anywhere near what happens with Sue. But uh, season one, Emily is really struggling to find her place especially when her brother proposes to her best friend and loves Sue. Uh, She's struggling to be allowed to pursue her passions, her calling in life, if you will. And I think that that is something that helps her really grow up between season one and season two. Emily knows that her life is never going to be like her mother's or whatever society expects of her. That's one thing that I really love about her character is that she doesn't feel weighted down by that expectation though uh she she knows what she wants and she wants to go for it it's just that societal constraints and uh uh you know society sort of codifies what is supposed to happen and i think that uh it it can kind of get muddy with emily a little bit but she does strive to do some household things like learn to bake and I I love there's a moment in season one where she learns to bake bread with the maid and uh, she makes a mistake and the maid helps her fix it again you know and I I love that teaching moment and I find it interesting that the teaching moment occurs between her the maid and her and not her mother and her Uh, I think it shows kind of the distance that there was between the two of them 
as a character, she really fights uh, gender norms, and she doesn't understand why she can't do things that her brother's able to do, like go to college. And uh, I love in the second episode of the series, in, in season one, uh, when she and Sue dress up as boys and crash a lecture on volcanoes at the college. It's just such a charming part of the episode, and and I just I could see myself doing do, you know doing something like that if I was told that I couldn't go to college or I couldn't learn these things. And uh, and that's something that I really love about her. Emily doesn't do anything in pieces. She loves with all her heart. She writes with all her heart. When she gets good with baking, she bakes with all her heart. I mean, she wins awards and things like that for her baking, and I love that part. She has a a really interesting dynamic with her father. Um, We know that Emily is well-read and a genius, if you will, but I find it so fascinating that her father was so controlling about her learning things about the world around her. Uh, in the in the series, she says, quote, my father buys me books and begs me not to read them, uh, close quote. And I find that to be a fascinating disharmony. And apparently Emily said that in real life uh, in a letter or something along those lines. So I thought that was a really interesting thing that they chose to pull into the show as well. Her father was torn between encouraging her to be learned and not at the same time. He was torn, and I imagine you would be torn if you were a father of two daughters and a son. Um, you might be torn between, you know, why can't I, I, why can't my daughters learn the same thing? But also, they're supposed to do this one thing because society tells them to. And again, it's that it's that societal constraints uh, that sort of codify what you're supposed to do. And uh, I I find it interesting that her father tries to fight that. Uh, So he buys her books, but then also begs her not to read them. So super interesting. Um, And I love uh, I love that Emily refuses to be kept in the dark, though. Uh, She refuses to be pushed down and to not be able to be seen in the light. Uh, And I think that's a, a wonderful thing and a wonderful trait to take away from that character. Emily writes to express her feelings and her hopes and her dreams and her fears, and she writes to make others feel alive, and uh, mostly Sue, really, uh, because I think one thing that, that Emily really learns, uh, especially, is that she doesn't really care what other people think about her, except for Sue. And uh, historically, in an interview that I saw with the show's creator, she talked about how Sue was the only person who ever convinced Emily to change a poem of hers. Uh, Apparently, there was a stanza that she didn't like, and she told Emily to remove it. It wasn't needed there. And uh, to Emily, Sue's opinion was the only one that mattered. And I I find that interesting, uh, an interesting dynamic between the two women. Now, if you're uh, familiar with Emily Dickinson's life in real life, Uh, you'll know that she was never famous until after she died uh, and and when all her her poems and things were published after that. But I think the show does a really good job of exploring the idea of fame uh, during especially the season two. Again, I'm not going to spoil anything with that, but uh, season two largely centers around Emily realizing that fame isn't what she wants for herself. The other thing that I really love about Emily's character uh, is her sense of humor in the series. Uh, She's clever and witty, and I've heard that the real Emily Dickinson as well had quite a wicked sense of humor, and I think that fits well (laughs) with the character on the series uh, too, which is awesome. 
Emily's dedication to her art is deeply evident in the series, and I find that to be such a beautiful thing. Uh, anytime she experiences writer's block in the series, it's, uh, it's as though part of her soul is also kind of blocked. And the imagery of that is just so beautiful and fascinating. And I love that the way that that the series takes those thoughts that she has from her poetry and whatnot and puts them into, you know, kind of fanciful parts of the series. We all know her famous poem about uh, death. Uh, I could not stop for death, so death stopped for me, uh, one. And uh, in the series, you know, death's carriage actually does roll up and pick her up, and, and she learns a lot about that. Um, one thing that I really love about the series, so... I mean, back in that time period, I think death was on a lot of people's minds because it's, um, I mean, it was a pretty evident thing that was occurring then. I don't think that Emily was any more fascinated or morbid or anything like that, but I think that she just expressed the way that she was feeling better uh, through her writing. And I really love that they bring that out in, in visual imagery in the series. All right, so let's get down to the kind of the meat of Emily. Uh, Emily and her relationship with Sue are really the, the keystones of the series. I appreciate that Emily and Sue can both call each other out on their crap and uh, still remain confidants and close throughout the series. There is some you know, definite tension in season two uh, between the two of them in which they're you know, being pushed apart or pulled together or whatever it may be. But the thing that, that kind of remains the same is that uh, Emily still feels like she can always tell Sue how she's feeling. Sue may not always feel that way uh, just because she's largely trying to hide herself. But uh, I think that, the, that that tension and that chemistry between the two of them is just such an excellent part of the, of the series. I will be super interested to see where it goes in season three with that. I think the, the thing between the two of them is that they both understand each other perfectly. And Emily can see when Sue is trying to fade away into, quote, exquisite emptiness, uh, quote, quote. But Sue can also see when Emily is floundering about what she really wants and what she craves and what she needs in this world. And I think that they sort of crave and need the same thing. They both are looking for meaning in life and they're both looking for beauty and love. And I think that's really one of the largest uh, overarching themes of the of the series is that desire to be loved and to have somebody understand who you are, but also to uh, understand and, and feel that about another person is, is a pretty special thing. And I love that the, that the series explores that and it also explores so many other facets of Emily Dickinson's life and also of life at that time period. And uh, it's just, it just does a great job. Overall, if you can't tell, I love Dickinson. Uh, I was a little hesitant uh, about an Apple Plus TV series, but um, like I said, Haley Steinfeld, anything that she touches basically turns to gold. And I just, I love it. It's one of the finest pieces of television I've seen in a good long while. It's smart, it's witty, it's empowering, it's laugh out loud funny, and it made me love Emily Dickinson and her poetry so much more. Uh, I cannot wait for season three. When I was younger, I had a hard time with poetry. I, I didn't like it because I would try to interpret it, and then I'd be told by my teachers or by other schoolmates or whatever it may be that I was interpreting it wrong. 
Uh, but the older that I've gotten, I've realized that you can interpret poetry in a lot of different ways, and it may not be necessarily wrong. Uh, and when I started to explore Emily's stuff through this series, because in the series, you only get little snippets of the poets, of the poems as you go through, but each of the episodes, I believe, is named after one of Emily's poems or of a similar theme of Emily's poems. And so I I got an opportunity to really explore some of those poems. And uh, I mean, everybody knows the common ones like Wild Nights, um, but not everybody knows some of the other ones. And a couple of my favorites that I've, that I've come to love are... Uh, uh, the first one is Forever is Composed of Nows. Uh, that's one of my favorite poems now. And I, I remember I shared it with my family the first time that I heard it on the series. And then I looked it up and read through the whole poem. And I, I just I felt it in my soul. Um, and so I really love that poem. The other one that I really love is One Sister Have I in Our House. And this poem is about Sue. And I think it uh, probably one of my favorite stanzas from it is uh, Today is Far from Childhood. But up and down the hills I held her hand, the tighter, which shortened all the miles. And uh, I just loved the imagery of that. And I love that you can feel her love for Sue and her passion for that friendship and that relationship and that love between the two of them. That no matter what was going on, being by her side and uh, holding her hand made all the miles feel a little bit shorter. And I think that's what we strive for, you know, in our, in our real life with relationships is we want to find people who are our people, like Sue and Emily. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. And I think uh, one of the really cool things about this series is that, uh, and maybe it's the sign of a good series, is that it makes you love and explore the world around you too. I don't think I ever would have considered thinking about poetry or feeling like I'm somebody who loves poetry if it wasn't for this series. And I, I think that's an awesome thing, even though it's sort of fanciful and classified as, you know, I, I'd classify it as sort of a sci-fi fantasy type of series with all of those things that occur. But I just love that uh, it, it encouraged me to do something in my real life, which I was always afraid to do. And now I just love it. Like I want to purchase Emily Dickinson's poetry in, in volumes and read it all and really love it and, and find different poems because I know there are so many more than what they're going to explore in the series. And I think that is a, is a really incredible thing. Is there a show that does that for you guys? Uh, I would love to hear your answers. So feel free to tweet them to me at uh, the hashtag laserslockets. Or you can join our conversation over on our Discord channel if you'd feel more comfortable with that. The link for that will be in the show notes for that. All right, I think that brings us to the end of the episode before I continue to gush about Dickinson. Uh, so we'll catch you back here in a couple of weeks. Until then, watch out for giant talking bees, ghosts that are nobody, and if death invites you to his carriage, remember to get back out, no matter how dope his ride is. Get your nerd on and be awesome. All right.